morning. Hallelujah. It's raining again. What about the rain last night? It was pretty heavy, wasn't it? Who got heavy rain last night? It was pretty heavy last night. But Phil was waking up in the middle of the night, half asleep, saying, oh, my plants are going to love this. He's suddenly become a gardener. I don't know what happened. It's just overnight. Hanging around Fleur. Oh, Jilly. Oh, Jilly. So lovely. You know, God's up to some beautiful things, amen. I don't know about you, but I feel like he's doing such a work in myself, um, just me individually, but just right across the board. I mean, everywhere you look right now, God is really turning up the heat of love on people, on situations. And not so long ago, there was a revival in Ashbury who... Who saw that with all the young people just worshipping God? I don't know how, did it go for a couple of weeks? I forget the stats now. It's still going. Just young people worshipping God. And I said, God, why can't that happen here? Like, why is it always America? You know, what about us Aussies down here? Have you forgotten about us? You know, there has to be a move of God among the young people, particularly, especially upon young adults, I believe. There are so many young adults that are disillusioned, especially about church right now. And anyway, so our, our friend, Pastor Tim and Kiri Lowe, have a church down in God in the city. And they have this awesome young son. He's, I think he's 19, Sammy. And he said to his mates one day, you know what? I reckon we should just get together at my house and worship God because I want to go deeper. And they're all going, yeah, I want to go deeper too. Now, these are kind of surfy guys. You know, they're just, you wouldn't expect that they'd want to just lock themselves in a house and worship God for hours, but they did. So they got together, you know, the musos. And so one's playing drums, one's playing guitar, they're singing. And they invited a few friends over. So the first time that they did it, there was 15 young people there. The second time they did it, the house was full. And then they went, we need to move it to another house. And they were only doing it every three weeks. And so they moved it to another house, and then that house filled up. And then they moved it to a garage, and this big garage, this big warehouse kind of garage, and that filled up. I think the last time was 165 people. Uh, And this was the sixth time was last Thursday night. So I thought, I've got to go and check out what God's doing. I'll take a couple of our young adults down and we'll check out what God's doing. I felt silly, honestly, to tell you the truth. I had to hide behind Jesse because um, I did look really old. And um, they, I felt like everyone's going, what? what's that old duck doing here? But anyway, I just got into a corner and, and hid myself in a corner. And I thought, I'll just sit here and see what happens. Anyway, this room just started to fill up and fill up and fill up. They, they'd moved it now to a Baptist hall, uh, which was out of use, I think. And it was just filling. And I'm just watching all these young people just pour in the door. And like so simply, it was just so simple. There was no height. There was no, not even any Pentecostalism, if you know what I mean, um, because now there are 10 churches involved, young people from 10 churches, and all through the community, 
just saying we want to meet every, every three weeks and we just want to worship God as young people. And they're all about 18, 19, 20, up to 22, some 16-year-olds, a couple of 14-year-olds, but around that age group. And it just kept filling up. And I'm sort of in the back corner going, wow. And look, they started so simply. They just went, okay, guys, let's worship God. That's all they said. They were set up in the middle. I'll show you a video in a minute. And they were on the round. And look, it wasn't loud music. It wasn't hype. They didn't do any praise even. They went straight into worship. And every kid just started singing at the top of the voice where you couldn't even hear the music anymore. And I'm just standing there crying my eyes out, just going, oh, my God, I'm witnessing it. This is happening in our nation. We've got to start to get excited. The deep work God is doing, amen. Hallelujah. And after a while, I couldn't sit there like the old lady in the back corner anymore. I said, stuff it. And I just got, and I'm just like, yes, you know how I am, because I just love to worship God, two arms out. I just don't care anymore, and I'm crying, and the presence of God is there. You know, they sang, I don't know, for half an hour straight, hardly any talking, hardly any talking at all. And then they just said, all right, sit down, and everybody just sat down on the floor, just like in the Jesus Revolution movie. It was like that, wasn't it, Uh, Macy? And they all just sat down on the floor. I didn't, I sat on the chair, and um, of course I can't get down the floor and up again, but anyway, and, uh, and then just this one girl just said, um, so-and-so is going to share a testimony, you know, and it was, wasn't professional, and you know, she just sat on a stool, and it was a spinning stool, so she just said a bit of a testimony there, a bit of a testimony there, and she sort of spun around slowly. It was so beautiful, and she was a Christian kid. And she shared what it was like to be a Christian kid and getting a bit disillusioned about church and, you know, feeling like she didn't fit because her parents were getting divorced and how that affected her and how the Christian community got around her and loved on her until she was able to, like, really just throw her life into Jesus. I mean, it's just, it just was so beautiful. And then they just sang for, I don't know, another hour? Another hour? They just, okay, let's worship God. And they just sang for another hour, all worship. And then right at the end, they went, okay, I think we need to praise God. And they just sang this fast song and everybody was jumping and dancing and it was a praise song. And then they went, right, me at Macca's. Off they went. I'd say there would have been, like, I like to be, like, conservative, but um, Tim Lowe said there was 300 kids there. I want to show you this video and just get you excited about what God's doing. I took the video. Excuse my videoing. Yes, 
I ran out of batteries. <laughs> so amazing. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand. I mean, I loved it that the worship was just so sweet and heartfelt. Sometimes we just so overcomplicate our relationship with God, don't we? And we've, we've, we, over the years, I don't know, we've gotten so commercialized in our worship. It's like, and so loud and so boisterous. And it's like, you know, I, I, I remember when they brought in the stance that, you know, all the worship team had to stare at the congregation and do this. Come on, come on. It's like, what? You know, like, what is that? You know, I don't need some young person going, come on, come on, worship God. You know, it's like, whoa. Like, let's just be innocent about this. Let's just be pure. How would you worship God at home? Would you be going, yeah, come on. No, no, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't. And so it was like this performance fake thing. I remember when they told us, you know, to, to say to all your worship leaders in training, do not close your eyes. Open your eyes and look at the people's like, whoa. You know, like, okay, you can have eye contact every now and again, but, well, I want to look at Jesus. Amen? Because it's him lifted up. And so I love the innocence of that. I love the purity of that. I love that they, like, they, they were Baptist, Anglicans. Do you know what I mean? They didn't know how to do the Pentecostal thing. But there was this purity of them just saying, God, here I am. And we've got to get back to that, don't we? We've got to get back to the purity of like, God, here I am. Now, I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to do a jig. I don't have to. I'm just here. It's raw and it's real. And I want to be raw and I want to be real with you, God, no matter what our age is, right? I, I, I mean, their rawness just unlocked something fresh in me to worship God in a whole new way. It was just so beautiful innocent, childlike, holy and beautiful. These were the things that were going through my head. Simple devotion. You know, Jesus is longing to open up our hearts to like the fullness of him, don't you reckon? Don't you reckon? Yeah, he's doing a deep work, hey, isn't he? He's doing a deep work. And those that are watching online, you know, you're probably feeling it watching this online. Like God is doing such a deep work and he's just wanting us to be real with him and he wants to come and really live inside of us you know we say the prayer oh um jesus i give my life to you come and live in my heart but does he really live there or does he just visit you know what i'm saying I think there's an abiding anointing that he wants to give us where he's actually abiding in us 24 hours a day and not just abiding in small parts of us but actually overtaking the realm of our inner beings and that's what I want to talk to you about today. It says this in Revelations 3.20. Look, Jesus is saying this, look, like open your eyes, look. When Jesus says, look, you need to look because he's got something to say. Look, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And I thought about that scripture. It says, if you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. 
I will share a meal together as friends. Do you know like breaking bread with a friend, sitting around a table, having a conversation? This is the sort of thing Jesus is talking about. He's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look, open your eyes. I'm knocking. Amen? And if Jesus is knocking on a door, now I'm talking about, we know in Revelations we can say that he's knocking on the door of the church and there's a lot of churches that do church without Jesus. So sad. And he's knocking on the door of the church. But I'm referencing this to our our own hearts. Right. Right? So if he's saying that he's knocking on the door, the door of our heart, then he must be saying that this is a house. Right. Is that right? right? And these are windows. Doesn't the Bible talk about our eyes being the windows of our soul? Right. And if the, if the eyes are clean, the whole, and if the eyes are dirty, if the windows, you know what I'm saying? Window washers. We need window washers. So if he's saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock, then we need to assume that this is a house. So just tap yourself and go, this is my house, right? It's just where you live for now. You could call it your earthly tent. You could call it your earthly tent. Because when we go to be with him, we can just discard this old one, which is really encouraging for us that are aging. Um, Just discard the wrinkly one, needs an iron. Jesus, give me one ironed one, please. And um, we can just discard all that and we can go be with him. So this is our house, right? So the word house can be found more than 2,000 times in Scripture. And most of the time it's talking about the house where God dwells. It's talking about the dwelling place of God, all right? So we know that it talks about the tabernacle, which is a house where God dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. We know that. I hope we do. Does everyone know about the tabernacle? It was a tent where God dwelt behind a curtain in a box, Ark of the Covenant. And the people would come to meet with God in that way. And then there was the temple where God dwelt in the Ark behind a thick curtain. And then the Word of God talks about house as we are the house where God dwells. So God had places where he would dwell so he could meet with man. Yeah? You're looking at me like, Gail, I don't know what the heck she's talking about, or you're still cooking breakfast. I don't know. (laughs) Come home. Come home to me, Gail. We know that when Jesus was on the cross, that the curtain... Where the, the that where God was it's in a box behind the curtain where only the priests could go and see him. We know the curtain was rent in two, and the presence of God came out to what? To live in man. So he came out to live in man, right? So it says this in 1 Corinthians 3:16. Do you know that you are all, that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. I'm asking you that question. Do you know that you are a temple? That you are a house of God and that God dwells in you? Sometimes we forget that he's in us. You know, we say this, we've been saying this beautiful thing. I love you, Jesus. You are in me and I am in you and we are one. 
I love you, Holy Spirit. You are in me and I am in you and we are one. I love you, Father. You are in me and I am in you and we are one. And we are entwined together. But we forget that he's in there. He's in and out. He's in and he's out. I remember when the, when the grandchildren were really tiny and I used to sing it to my kids as well when they're going to sleep and they're scared. I would sing them this song. You're all around me, beneath me, before me. You're all around me. My Father's angels all protect me everywhere. Anybody know that song? And so my grandkids all sing that and so did my kids all around us, but he's in us. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah. And it says this, but this is in Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. So Christ is in charge of the house, but we are the house. Amen. Does that make sense to you? Hallelujah. And we just talked about it. Not only does the Father live in us, but Jesus lives in us. The Holy Spirit, when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it says here in John 14, 20, when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Okay? It's interesting to look at the different dwelling places that God did dwell in because what it does, it gives us really a, a picture of what, a prophetic picture of what God was trying to say. Nothing is by accident in the word of God, is it? Nothing's by accident. Everything kind of lines up. Every measurement is for a reason. Every word in the word of God is, has a prophetic picture, a prototype. You know, it's, it, this is that, but now it's this, and that's that, and it's an unfolding revelation that God is trying to bring to us. So to understand what this house is, we need to look back at what the houses were like that, that God dwelt in. And in 1 Kings 6, 5 to 6, we see Solomon's temple. Now, Solomon's temple is really different from any place that God dwelt in before. Because what God did, he got with David. Who knows that David had a heart after God's own heart. He had this relationship with God because he was the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And God communed with David in a very special way, the way he longs to commune with us, actually. And he gave him the blueprints of this temple and said, your son is going, you've got too much blood on your hands, but your son's going to build the temple. And God gave him the exact blueprints, measurements, what it should look like how many rooms there would be, you know, the whole thing. He gave it to Solomon. And David gave it to Solomon and said, you have to build it exactly to this blueprint, right? right? It all has a prophetic meaning. Amen. Um, the tabernacle was a way for man to enter the presence of God. Amen. And our tabernacle, our body, is a way that God enters, his presence enters us. Inside the tabernacle, it consisted of three compartments. So you, is that up there? Yep. So you have the outer court. You can see that. Do you like my graphics? 
I'm getting so much better. You, you know how long it took me to do those little arrows? And then put it there and there it would go. And I'd go, no, no, stay there. Like, anyway, I'm getting better at this stuff. So there's the outer court there. This is what it looked like. There's the holy place and there's the most holy place. And so the, the priest would come in. Out, the outer court is where the main people would be. And there'd be this place in here where they'd sacrifice and do all these things. And the only one that could go beyond the curtain into the holy place was the priest because it was the most holy place where God was. Amen. And he would sacrifice and do things and, and repent on behalf of the people. And that's how it, it was. Amen. But it's very interesting if we have a look at what the Jews called the different gates to these different entry points. Thanks, Charlie. Next one. They called this the way gate was the outer court. The truth gate was the holy place. And the way gate was the most holy place. Do you ever heard that before? Yeah. You have, Phil? Yeah, because you told me. Um, he had a Bible study last night at 12 o'clock in bed. Then he went to sleep and left me to meditate on it and get up and do another diagram. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think that's amazing? So when Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His Jewish audience heard something you and I would have never have caught. They understood that he was saying that the entire tabernacle was a picture of him. The entire tabernacle was a picture of Jesus. I am the way. I can bring you through the gate. I am the truth. I can take you through the gate. And I am the way. I can bring you into the most holy place. My body, I am the tabernacle, and I am opening up the tabernacle to you so that you can come and not just visit the most holy place, but have the most holy place visit you. Amen. Think about it for a minute. Where, where is the most holy place right now? Put your hands on your belly. And say, the most holy place is in me. Amen? When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became the tabernacle of God. When we say, Jesus, come into my life and fill me, that isn't just words. That isn't just ethereal kind of weird Christian born-again stuff. This is actually the living God who comes to dwell in man and sets up his throne on the inside of you where you can commune with him anytime. He wanted to be that close. He wanted to be closer to us than the garden because in the garden he walked with Adam and Eve and talked with Adam and Eve. But he says, you know what? You're never going to get rid of me this time. Because I'm coming in you. You can't shake me off. You can't get rid of me. I'm going to be right here and I'm going to be talking to you every second of every day. Amen? 
Oh, oh, you get excited about, Daryl looks a bit excited. And so this temple also speaks about who we are as three-part beings. So let's have a look at that. The body is the outer court, our body. The soul, the part of us in here, because the Bible says we're body, soul, and spirit, the soul is the holy place. That's where we offer sacrifices. That's where we have sanctification. That's where we get cleansed. That's where we go to new levels in God. And then the spirit is the most holy place. That's the perfection of God. Do you know that you have the perfection of God living inside of you? Your spirit is perfect. Say that for me. My spirit is perfect. If you're watching online, say that. My spirit is perfect. So when you stand before God and you go to worship him and you've had a bad day, you just shake it off because you're coming before God in your spirit. You just tell your soul like David did, soul, be quiet, worship God. Because I'm worshiping God out of my spirit right now and the spirit man has to rule. The spirit man has to reign. The spirit man is leading your Christianity, is leading your lives, is communing with God and making decisions. You have a space within you that is perfection. You don't believe me? Who believes me? Okay, half. I'm going to say it again. Put your hands on your belly. Say this. I have a space within me that is perfection. Because the perfect God lives inside of me. So is he perfect? So is there a space inside of you that's perfect? And when your spirit is entwined with him, are you perfect? No change needed. Amen? But our soul is the place where he begins to work on us and transform us into his image. And what he wants to do ultimately is live inside the whole tabernacle. He wants the whole deal. Jesus was the example of the fullness of the tabernacle. He was the way, the truth, and the life. He showed us the way. He gave us truth to get there. And then he fills us with life when we make the choice to follow him. Amen? Hallelujah. So the outer court also, this is another diagram. Thank you, Charlie. Next one. The outer court also speaks of spiritual infancy. So we kind of, and a lot of the church and a lot of Christians live out here in the outer court. Okay, I just worship God once a week and then I don't think of him the rest of the week. I might just say a prayer when I'm in trouble. I know he's around me. I love him, but, you know, I know I'm going to heaven, but that's about it for me. I'm just going to hang out here in the outer court. Many Christians live out there in the outer court and they never grow past the outer court stage, apparently content to just dwell there. But I don't know about you. I'm not content. Who's content to live in the outer court and just sort of visit God every now and again, maybe give him some token gestures, 
some, a few songs here and there. I pray when I'm desperate. Amen. And God still loves these people. Of course, they are still in the tabernacle, right? Meaning they are still saved and they're going to heaven when they die. But he expects all of us to grow up, to grow into the holy place, to grow into truth, to be filled with more truth. How many of you know that since you were in your mother's room, there's few lies that have gone into your life? A few misconceptions about your identity. A few or a lot? A lot of lies. And so the enemy wants to hold on to those lies because he wants to keep you out of the most holy place. He wants to keep you out of the place where where God can fully fill every part of your being. So he's going to reiterate those lies over and over and over and over again to you. They're just things we've learnt from life, things that have been said, things we've said about ourselves, vows we've made on the inner side of ourselves. I mean, just self-hatred, or oh, it's just unforgiveness, all of these things, and they're inside of us. And Jesus comes and said, hey, I want to take you from the outer court, but to take you from the outer court and bring you through, I need to bring truth. I need to wash you in truth. I am the truth. And I want to remove every lie that the enemy has put on you and in you to distort my image because you are made in the image of God. And your image has been, my image has been distorted in you through the lies, amen? And through the misrepresentation of who I am. Why are so many people disillusioned with church? Because they don't understand who he is. If they understood who he is, they'd be flooding in here. If they understood that he was the answer to everything, that he's the father that would shower them with love, give them every heart's desire, heal their broken hearts, restore their families. Do you know what I mean? That's who he is and he's just like this and the whole world is going, no, because they're so full of lies and misrepresentation mis, uh, of who he is. Oh, no, I've heard so many people say, I can't walk into the church because the roof will fall in on me. You know, or I'm too bad, I'm too much of a sinner. If they only knew that the Father's heart is longing for them to come, amen, they would run into this place. So Jesus is pouring out truth. I think there's more truth opposing the more lies that are happening. The deception is going deeper and, 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 and more gross the lies are getting stronger on our young people's minds, on people's minds. But Jesus, do you think that he is greater than the devil? Do you think he conquered him when he died on the cross, when he went to hell, when he took the keys of hell, when he put his head on the serpent's neck and, and rose on the third day victorious, taking the keys of hell and death? Do you think Jesus has an answer to deception? He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. And I long to pour truth inside of you. I long to get my people and just break off and destroy every lie of the enemy that distorts who you are. Remove every false mirror around you. You know, you're looking in these mirrors and they're false mirrors. 
You're looking at your image and you see your image and you're disgusted by your own image. You know what I mean? I'm not just talking about physical. I'm talking about spiritually, everything. God wants to smash those mirrors because the only mirror that you should have is the word of God and the presence of God standing right in front of you. You should look into the face of God to see who you are because you are made in his image not in the image that the world has made for you or that you have made for yourself. Amen? He is the mirror. Hallelujah. And ultimately, he wants us to move through truth into the place of pure grace to the way. He wants us to grow in our faith, trust and love, especially in our knowledge of him. In our knowledge of Jesus. As your knowledge of Jesus increases, so does your faith and trust. This growth takes you from the outer court into the next phase of spiritual growth to the holy place and ultimately the most holy place. Amen. Here you will learn even more about Jesus' beauty and his glory and his love for you. And it's called growing up, people. It's called maturity. The Lord is calling his church into maturity. He's calling us to stop being infants tossed around by every wind of doctrine and open our Bibles, as Andrew said. Get your hardcover Bibles out. Start to highlight them again. Let the Lord speak to you intimately. Amen. So we go from spiritual infant growing in maturity to mature as the picture of the tabernacle. We are the tabernacle of God. Amen. This thought is perfectly depicted, and you can put this blue screen up, Charlie. The blue ones you can put up, the white ones don't. This thought is perfectly depicted in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. Look at this, just the thought we're thinking about. And it says, when I was a child, out of court, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man man in the holy of holies and the most holy place, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, talking about mirrors, but then face to face. So we're out in the outer court in immaturity. And as we come through into a deeper relationship with him, the mirrors that we were looking in begin to be smashed and suddenly we're looking at the Lord face to face and we realize who we are. Amen? In verse 13, and now abide faith, outer court, hope, holy place, and love, the holy of holies, these three. But the greatest of these is love, to live in the holy of holies. Faith, outer court. Hope, holy place. Love, holy of holies. He longs for his people, his church, his children to progress in their growth in their own tabernacle until they are love. They don't just love, they become love. When they see him face to face and he looks into their eyes, 
He penetrates their very being and they become like him. Amen. The Bible says what you behold, you will become like. Amen. Are you tracking with me? Good. So we're also commanded to love God in all three parts of our being. You know, it's just beautiful when we can love God with our spirit. I come to church and I worship you in spirit and truth. I hope with spirit and truth. You know what I mean? Like, you really have to wrestle with your head, don't you reckon? When you come into church, and you, like I was this morning, I'm sort of worshiping him and then I'm thinking about something else and I pull it back in and I'm worshiping and I think about something else and I pull it back in. Yes, we're all human. It's called human. Right? And there's no saints here, like no holy, no, 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 I'm not going to heaven yet, haven't made it yet. But, but I still battle with that in my head. But the Bible says that we have to bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Jesus Christ. So I started to think about the lounge that I was going to pick up after church to finish my decorating in the back room. We've started the Transformation Centre out there. You've got to go have a look. I'm very so proud. Thank you, Roger, for painting for a week and Ross... Mm for all the work you've done. That's why Pastor Phil and I went down to pick up a three-seater lounge and put it on our backs and I carried that thing. And I, I know my chiropractor is going to yell at me. I know he is, but it's worth it for the church, amen? Anyway, what was I talking about? That, I was talking about the distractions. <laughs> it was a good example. I just got you all distracted. You're all thinking about lounges and everything about but I'm worshipping this morning. I am the senior pastor of the church. I'm about to preach and I'm thinking about a lounge I'm going to pick up. It's not a good place to be. So I take control of what I'm thinking about and I cast down every vain imagination and I bring every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. And I say, soul, be quiet, because it's my soul that wants to go get lounge, isn't it? And I say, spirit, worship God. Let's get into that place where we worship God. So we're commanded to love God, to worship God out of every part of us. Amen? Yeah. It says this in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. I love it in the Passion Translation. Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. Julie, this is the great and supreme commandment. This loving with everything inside of me. And that's what I saw those kids doing the other night. They're just so sweet. They were just so sweet. And I went, oh, God, you're going to land on this innocence, this rawness and this purity. Let it happen here. The good news is this. I spoke to Sam, who started this whole thing, and I said, Sam... I want you to come to the coast and I want you to bring your little group of friends and we're going to set up a young adults worship night here and we're going to believe for a fire to start here. And so they're coming in September. Start to pray into it. Come on. And you're not allowed to come, right? None of you old foggies are allowed to stand at the back like me. But anyway, hey, you'll be down. Well, you can be in the prayer room. That has been set up once I get the new lounge. Anyway, 
So that's really exciting. Now, just I'm nearly finished, but I just want to add this one point. We talked about God, you know, he shows us the exact, the exact blueprints to Solomon, to David, to Solomon, to build the temple. So the temple was really going to represent us, right? It was really representing Jesus and that it was representing us as well. And the interesting thing about the temple of Solomon that Solomon built, the blueprint was unlike the tabernacle where it only had the three sections. But the blueprint of Solomon's temple, the Bible says, also had many complex rooms that consisted of three floors. Yeah. It says in 1 Kings, can you go to that screen, Charlie? Just follow me, follow me. He built a complex of rooms against the outer walls of the temple all the way around the sides and to the rear of the building. So you can see there was all these complex, they call them complex rooms. They've written on their storerooms, but they were complex rooms. We don't even understand what went on in those rooms because they were complex. Sometimes I don't understand what goes inside my rooms. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just doing real good and then all these other rooms. Do you know what I'm saying? And suddenly I'm in, whoa, what am I doing in this room? Who am I now? You know what I'm saying? So there's these complex rooms and it's sort of showing us. And then, go to the next one, Charlie. The complex was three stories high. It says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings 5, 6. But it had spiral staircases joining the three floors. Okay, this is getting interesting now. Those of you that are homeowners, or even if you live in a house, we, we know that there, we don't spend time in every part of the house every day. Who knows that? I know when Andrew goes home, he goes to his man cave which is the garage done up, Jilly did up for him, and he goes to his man cave. He may not spend a lot of time in the rest of the house. Is that right, Andrew? Is that your favourite room? I can't confirm or deny. <clears throat> but there may, be, there may be weeks or even months that we don't visit certain parts of our house. I mean, I, I know everybody has a junk drawer in their kitchen. Who does? Who does? Who does? Oh, Jessie came over and sorted mine out. I don't have one anymore. Evan, she comes over and she checks it to make sure I've got everything in the right place. But who's got a garage? Who's got a garage that you never want to go into? Huh? I've got one of those. It's like you open the door and you go, get something, because there's rats and everything in there and there's just stuff that you don't know. And um, I'm exposing you, Philip. Yeah, old paint. It's, Phil calls it his, his, art, his art gallery. And he finds old paintings on the side of the road and he hangs them up in his garage. And there's, some of them are so grotesque. It's like, oh, I can't even look at that. Some of them are painted by mental health patients. And they're up there and they're like, it's like, whoa, I don't want to go in that room. Do you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? They say that Australia is the only country in the world that leaves their fifty, sixty thousand dollar cars out on the street while they house, garage their precious junk. <laughs> so true. 
I mean, you could just chuck everything out in my garage and put it out the front, take it away, and I can fit my car in. I still can't fit my car in. So there's many rooms we just don't visit. Is that right? Yeah? Okay. Um, Teenagers in the house? I mean, mothers may not want to visit your bedroom very often. Some of you may be clean teenagers. Some of you may be messy teenagers. And it's like there's old sandwiches under the bed in an old school bag that's now moldy. Ugh. You know what I mean? Don't go under that bed. You don't know what's under there. Let's stay away from that place. Yes? In fact, there's three spare bedrooms in my house. Because <laughs> all my babies moved out. And I've got this massive five-bedroom house. And one of the bedrooms I've turned into an art room, so it kind of feels like it's full. And there's three bedrooms. They're beautifully attired. It looks like an Airbnb, and no one goes in there. It's so sad. Sometimes I shut the doors of those rooms because I just don't want to think about that my kids aren't here anymore. And I just want to go, it's really sad. Anyway, so I don't go into those rooms that often because... They remind me that my kids aren't here. Andrew and Evan uh, um, took them away from me. Anyway. Oh, there's that room. I just jumped into a room, didn't I? Was that unforgiveness and bitterness? No, no. Joking. I love my boys. They come and stay at my house. Anyway, there's enough room where we can all come for Christmas and all sleep over. It's fantastic. Right. But the same can be said of the, of the rooms of our inner heart, right? right. We, there's rooms there that can remain closed and just forgotten. There's rooms there that the windows are so dirty in those rooms that you just haven't cleaned them for a long time and you don't even know what's in there. And then all of a sudden, just God comes along and he might go up to the third story, round the round, round the stairs. <laughs> he goes to the top floor and he opens the door of a room. Or he knocks on the door of a room. First, he never opens it. He just knocks. And he's knocking on the door. He's knocking on another room of your heart. Now, you have a choice at that point to open the door. You're highly embarrassed because, like, if Jesus came in here, he's just going to know what I'm really like, as if he doesn't know anyway. <laughs> As if he doesn't, as if he doesn't know anyway. I mean, he see, he walks through walls. He see, you know what I mean. You know, so he sees it all anyway. So he'll knock on the door of another room, and it's going. No, we're going to occupy this whole house. This whole tabernacle is going to belong to me. It's the most beautiful thing. Jesus is knocking on each door. You know, it's happening not just to us, but it's happening everywhere we look. You know, we. Phil was watching uh, YouTube uh, preaching last night and he put on Robert Morris, who's a great preacher, you know, got a huge church, beautiful, good man and older than us, but just solid family man, loves the Lord, huge church, great teacher and he, and he usually comes out to preach and thousands of people and you know what I mean? And he stands strong and he preaches the word. Well, he came out dragging a chair, put the chair down and just sat down and went, I need to have a real conversation with you people. And he just started to cry his eyes out. And he just started to say, you know what? I've come to the age where there's some rooms in my house where Jesus is knocking on the doors. 
And there's things in my childhood that I have never looked at. I've just kept the door shut. I'm using my terminology, it's not his. There's rooms that I've never looked at and I just kept the door shut, but all of a sudden this stuff started to come up and I have just been crying and crying and crying and God is healing your pastor's heart. He's healing my heart and I'm going to let him do it. So I might be a mess for a little while. I might cry a lot, but will you let me be real with you, my people? Because if I can be real up here, you can be real down there. And I know that there were things that happened in my childhood that I've never addressed that I need to allow God to heal my child heart within me, the child room within me. I thought it was the most beautiful thing. I think you know, Shane Baxter has done exactly the same thing. Massive church. Where's Shane? Melbourne, is he? Melbourne, massive church. You look at it, he's so successful. Do you know? And one of your heroes, isn't he, Andrew? Like just a real man of God, raising great men in his church. His wife is phenomenal. They're beautiful people did the same thing, just sat in front of his congregation and said, you know what, I've hit a wall and I need to get healed and I'm going to do a lot of crying and I'm going to do a lot of healing, but I need you to walk this through with me and, and let me be real. And, you know, this man who's got accolades and, I mean, he was the national leader for AOG and, uh, and just being, I just love that. I just think, Rather they would do that than stick to their pride and keep their door shut and fall and destroy the church. I would rather a man sit on a chair and be real any day. And this is what God's doing for us, right? For all of us. There's no one can escape the truth that's being poured out into our hearts. The truth that Jesus wants to set us free. Just go to the next screen. You know, you might have a father room in your church, where there's father in, in your house, where there's father issues. You might have a mother room. There may be trauma rooms. There may be a sin rooms. There may be poor self-image rooms. There may be a fear room. There may be an inner child room. You know, these complex rooms. Do you know what I'm talking about? These complex rooms. But the thing is, why did God give this blueprint for this temple to Solomon as a picture and a prototype of what Jesus would be and what we would be through him if he didn't want us to really look at it and realize that we have complex rooms inside of us as well. And that he wants to come and live in every room, not just the three spaces, but to live in every room of our lives. How does that sound to you? I love this. I was asleep last... Oh, well, I was trying to go to sleep last night. I really didn't go to sleep till like one or two in the morning. I was just so excited about this message this morning. And this phrase came into my head and I had to get up and write it down, you know, because otherwise you just churn it, churn it, churn it. And it was this. If you open the door when he knocks, he will make a way to bring truth to the lies so that he can bring life. And it just was going round and round and round in my head. I've got to write that down. He said it to me. He just said it to me in bed. If you open the door when he knocks, he will make a way to bring truth to the lies so that he can bring life. He wants to open up the doors of those rooms. I mean, he wants you to open them because he will never kick a door down. No way. You have a will. It's called W-I-L-L, free gift from God. 
And when he knocks on the door, you can choose to open that or not. You can choose to be embarrassed, ashamed, but he already knows. He already knows how he's going to renovate that room. He already knows what junk he's going to throw out, what furniture he's going to throw out, how he's going to strip it clean, how he's going to repaint it, how he's going to wash the windows and open up the windows and let the light in, how he's going to hang new fabric and new curtains and put new furniture in there. He already has a renovation in his head. And he's a renovator knocking on the door saying, renovation here. And you just got a choice. Well, no, I'd rather keep my dark, smelly, dusty, ugly room. Thank you. Or, okay, it's pretty embarrassing. There's some stuff in here I might have to just apologize about, God. But Jesus, you know everything anyway. And you love everything about me. So come on in and let's start renovating. Amen? Because sometimes when you're going through healing yourself, and a lot of you have been going through healing and levels of deliverance, and you go like, what, am I the only fruit loop? Am I the only one that's full of demons? Am I just, am I just the only Christian that is just like needs continuous work? When will I ever arrive? Anybody ever feel like that? I mean, you know, I'm 63 and I still ask those questions. Like, you know, surely, God, there's no more rooms. But you know what? I've learned through my experience of his love and his grace and his beauty that when he knocks on the door, I'm just bursting that thing open because the journey is so beautiful. It's never ugly. It's never nasty. He always comes into that room and he fills it first with total love, total peace, total acceptance. He brings truth that sets you free, you know, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't we want that? We're so afraid, we're so scared, we know, I'm going to fall apart. I remember once he started to deal with some really intense childhood issues in me many years ago and I said, look, if I start crying, I will not stop and you'll have to lock me up in a psycho ward. Anybody ever feel like that? So deep, the pain. But I never got locked in a psycho ward. And I actually enjoyed the journey. Because psycho ward, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my, my terminology. Um, and a psych ward for the cameras. Um, <laughs> so that I look slightly intelligent. <laughs> I am intelligent for all you people at home. Um, Phil, you always distract me. See? My mind, you, you, you're naughty. I cast down every vain imagination. <laughs> what was I saying? <clears throat> he wants to just fill that room with love, with light, and with goodness. Why would we run away from that? And yet we run, we run. I don't want to be one of those Christians that has prayer ministry every week. Well, you know what? I've made a beautiful room out there and it's all pretty now. And it's got a lovely, well, it's got a few couches. Go and have a look and it's all painted and it's all lovely. And you walk in there and you go, oh, I've got to get rid of my dirty room. This room is so nice. I want to live here. And so that's why I made it like that. 
you know, just don't think about the whole house. This is, eh? You housewives, you know, when the kids were little, when the kids were little, and you know how you just clean that room and you go to another room to clean another room and you come back to this room and they pulled every toy out of the cupboard. Or you just dress them, and I won't tell you which one, it was Jessie. You just dress her and then you walk away and two minutes later she's naked running around the yard. And Remy's doing that to her now and I say, payback, payback. But it's like that, isn't it? It feels like you can never really get the mess. You know what I mean? It just keeps chasing you. But what I used to do when I was a young mum is that I used to say, okay, if I just clean one room at a time and then lock the kids out of it. And then I'll clean another room and move the kids to the messy room. Another room, move the kids to the messy room. And that's all that Jesus wants to do. He wants to come into your room, clean this room, move all the demons. Boof! He doesn't move into another room. He just kicks them out. Then he cleans another room, cleans it up, kicks all the visitors out. Do you know what I mean? So they can't mess it up again. Because you're not messing my room up again. I'll just clean this out. You know what I mean? So I'm going to get rid of all the people that mess it up. And that's what deliverance is. It's simple. Isn't it? I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Don't think about the whole house. Don't think about all your complex rooms right now. <laughs> For goodness sake, I'm starting to think about mind treat. I'm starting to go, I need to make it a point with you. Um, don't think about all your complex rooms. Just think about one room at a time. And do not go hunting for your rooms. Wait for the knock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't go navel-gazing. What's inside of me? God, I've got all these junk and rooms and demons everywhere. Oh, my God, you know. No, 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 no. You're just loving Jesus. You're just going on loving Jesus out of the part that's perfect. Everyone say, oh, the part's perfect. I love him out of my perfect part right? Part of me that's perfect out of my God's face, out of the center where God, Holy Spirit, Jesus lives. I let that, and I'm just wanting that to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love him out of that. And as I'm loving him, as I'm spending time with him, he'll go, I'll go, okay, let's go. And I'm in such a space of love. I'm in such a capsule of love that I just go, take me anywhere. I trust you. You are the good shepherd. I'm going with you. Take me through this temple. Get me to the most holy place. Where every part of my being, I love it what David says here. I love this scripture so much. Psalm 86, and this is in the living translation, not the new living translation, the old living translation, which I love. And it says, may every fiber of my being Unite in reverence to your name. That's been my prayer for the last 30, 40 years. May every fiber of my being unite in reverence to your name. I want, I want all of it. I want every little fiber of my being to reverence God, to live in that holy place with him. Amen. With all my heart, I praise you, it says. I will give glory to your name forever, for you love me so much. You are constantly so kind, so kind. 
You know, all it takes is just a childlike surrender. Like those young people down in Sydney. Just say, why don't we just sing songs to God and just be raw and real and get rid of all the hype and the performance and the stuff and just be real with God. I wonder if we could hand out communion, please, deacons, and then we'll have the worship team come up. I wanted to take communion this morning because I think it's a very personal thing, this. It's very personal. It's like you and God kind of thing. And, you know, I feel like there's altar calls going to happen later if you want prayer. But I feel like just in your chair, just as they sing over us, maybe just hold your communion in your hand. And I think it's really just a space where you're just saying, today, it's, it's just a space where you're saying, Jesus, if you knock, I want to open. I don't want to stay here anymore. I'm st- I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be an infant. I want to grow up. I want all that you have for me. I want every part of your beauty and your love. I want it to permeate every part of my being, Jesus. So as you get your communion, just close your eyes, hold it in your hand. Don't take it just yet. And start to just meditate. Thank you. 